invited to head on down to kids' worship, and uh, your teachers should be waiting there in the back to head on down and learn from the Bible downstairs. For the rest of us, let's open up our Bibles again to the Gospel of Mark and continue our study. We're still in chapter 10 of this Gospel, and uh, this morning we're going to be looking at verses 13 to 16. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 16. I'll begin reading for us in verse 13. They were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Father, as we look at these words, we pray that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher that he would give us the heart of Jesus for children, as we pray in Jesus' name, amen. When we read the Gospel of Matthew, in a very familiar verse, we see Jesus describe himself. Jesus describes himself in the Gospel of Matthew as being gentle and lowly in heart. When Paul writes, describing Jesus in 1 Timothy chapter 1, He says that Jesus is a God of perfect patience. When it comes to Jesus, we are dealing with the most gentle, the most humble, the most patient person who lives in the entire universe. It takes a lot to get Jesus angry. So when Jesus is angry about something, he has my attention. I want to know what makes this perfectly patient, perfectly humble, perfectly loving man angry. I want to know the things that tick him off. What could possibly make Jesus angry? We're told in this text that one thing that made Jesus not just angry but indignant is when children are overlooked or when children are hindered from coming to him for his blessing. Uh, I have a hunch that if Jesus would visit Grace Church on a Sunday morning, he wouldn't come into the sanctuary first off. I don't think he'd make a beeline for our classrooms for an adult Bible fellowship. I don't think he'd even be interested in our offering plate. I think that if Jesus was to show up on a Sunday morning, my hunch is he would make an immediate right and he would go down these stairway door, that this stairway downstairs into the, the children's wing. I think he would want to get to know the children there. I think he would want to high five all the workers who are faithfully seeking to disciple our children down there. I think he'd be looking for opportunities to sign up to serve downstairs in our children's ministry. If Jesus was to sit on an elder team meeting, I think we'd be surprised at his deep concern and possible questions that he would have for us as elders about what we are doing to ensure the evangelization and the discipleship of the children that he has entrusted 
to us. Jesus loves children. Jesus wants to bless children. And in this text this morning, what we see is, first of all, we enjoy the blessing of Jesus when we lead children to him. We enjoy the blessing of Jesus when we lead children to him. We go wrong if we think that this passage is just a passage applicable to parents. Uh, It was not just parents who were bringing children to Jesus. Take a look again at verse 13. Who were the ones who were bringing children to Jesus? Verse 13, it says, they were bringing children. Now, surely parents were made up of that group, but who is the they there that are being spoken of? We have to go all the way back to verse 1 of chapter 10 to see the context. In verse 1, we're told there, he was in the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds were gathered to him. People who were seeking Jesus, people who were following Jesus, saw the wisdom and bringing the children of their community to Jesus for a blessing. It was a whole community effort to bring children to Jesus. And it is a whole church effort to bring the children he has entrusted us to Jesus. We enjoy the blessing of Jesus when we lead children to him, but this text also contains a warning that we risk his displeasure when we hinder them. Who would have ever thought that the very people who would keep the children from coming to Jesus were those who knew Jesus best, the 12 disciples. And they didn't even realize that what they were doing was wrong. There are ways in each one of our hearts that we may subtly be hindering our children, the children of this church, from coming to Jesus. How can we be a church? How can we be families? How can we be parents who are leading our children to Jesus in his blessing and not those who are risking his his displeasure uh, by hindering them from coming? The key is for us to understand Jesus' heart for children that he exemplifies here in these verses. I want us to see this morning from these four simple verses, Jesus' heart for children and how we can cultivate that same heart. What was Jesus' heart for children? The first thing we see from this text, Jesus shows us his heart for children in that Jesus welcomes children generously. He welcomes children generously. Take a look at verse 14. In verse 14, Jesus, in his indignation, replies to the disciples, correcting them and making his welcome of the children very clear. He wants it to be so clear that he puts it first positively and then negatively. Take a look. He says to the disciples, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. I'm welcoming these children. Jesus is not like uh, James Stort in It's a Wonderful Life in that scene where James Stort's character comes home and he's all angry and, and, he's, and he's frustrated and offhand he says to his wife, why do we have to have all these kids? Uh, Jesus is, is not saying that. Uh, he rather is welcoming them. Uh, the disciples thought that they were doing Jesus a favor by keeping them from coming to him. The disciples thought that the children were beneath Jesus' concerns, beneath the important matters of his kingdom work. And Jesus corrects them to show he did not view them as a burden to be avoided, but as a gift. 
to be cherished. Jesus welcomes children because his father welcomes children. Jesus welcomes children because he created them. In John's gospel, in that that familiar opening line in chapter 1, he says in verse uh, 3 of chapter 1 that all things were made through him, through Jesus, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is the creator of all things. He is the creator of children. When you're holding that newborn baby in your arms and a precious asleep in your arms, when you see a child playing in the hallway of Grace Church, you are looking upon the handiwork of Jesus himself. And because he created them, children ultimately belong to him. He created children so that they might be in loving relationship with him, and so he welcomes them generously to him. That means that part of our leading children to embrace the welcome of Jesus as a church, as godly parents, part of our duty in that is recognizing right off the bat that our kids are not ultimately ours, that our kids ultimately belong to the one who created them, to Jesus, their maker. And he entrusts our kids to us as their parents that we might take up that sacred duty to raise them and guide them by the hand to place their hand into the hand of Jesus. And if we are indeed going to lead our kids, the kids of this church, to embrace the welcome of Jesus, we have to model ourselves a life of godly living. We have to show them that we are those who have embraced the welcome of Jesus as well. I'm so thankful for the parents that God gave me. From the very beginning of my life, telling me about Jesus, I gave my mom a heck of a time on Sunday mornings. Um, I remember there was a a Saturday night where mom and dad were were talking about how I need to go to bed because we're going to be going to church the next morning. And this is what I said to, to my mom. I said... I don't have to go to church. You know, you, you guys go and, uh, and have a good time. Um, I've already trusted in Christ, so I'm good. I'm good. I, I, don't, I don't need to go. I don't need to go. I, I, you guys go. And my mom looked at me. She said, um, you're going to church. No ifs, ands, or buts. And the next morning, she made sure that my butt was in church. <laughs> and I am thankful that she did. They modeled for me what it looks like to prioritize Jesus, embraced his welcome so that I might see what it is to respond to his welcome. The first thing we see is Jesus welcomes children generously. Another aspect of Jesus' heart for children that we see in these verses is that he esteems children highly. He esteems children highly. Take a look again at verse 14. In verse 14, he says, let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. No greater esteem could be given than for Jesus to say of children that the kingdom of God belonged to them. And what a countercultural statement for his day to elevate children to this degree. Think about the world that Jesus was born into. When we read the Christmas story in the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus was born, what did Herod command 
for, for, uh, for, for the government to do to all the male babies. Kill them. Just a flippant, didn't even think about it. It was just nothing to say, you know what, we got to kill all the, all the boy children from two years down. Just wipe them out. That was the world that Jesus was born into. In my research, I discovered uh, this week that um, even female babies were at even greater risk because male babies were prized as the ones who would, who would you know, continue the family name. And female babies, oftentimes, if they were just unwanted, they were just left to die shortly after birth because they were seen as a burden to be avoided. It wasn't until 375 AD that the government of Rome illegalized infanticide. This is the world that Jesus was speaking to. When it came to children, to such did not belong the kingdom of Rome. But Jesus says, for all time and into eternity, to such belongs the kingdom of God. And children esteems, uh, uh, Jesus esteems children highly because we can learn so much from their example as children. If in verse 14, he's telling us that we are to lead children to Jesus. In verse 15, Jesus is telling us that children have the capacity to lead us to Jesus by their example of helpless dependence. Take a look at verse 15. In verse 15, he tells us, truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. You can imagine all the different ages of children that were brought to Jesus on this occasion. Luke's gospel tells us in particular that the little babies, the, the littlest ones, were being brought to him for his blessing. Now, think about a baby and what they are like. We've got one in our home right now, praise God. Babies are completely helpless. Babies are totally dependent on mom and dad for everything. Food, diaper changes, hygiene, clothing, love, everything. And it's amazing how quickly babies come to trust in mom and dad when they are shown that mom and dad love and that mom and dad care and that mom and dad will provide. They're completely dependent on love, on, uh, on mom and dad. And Jesus is saying that the very dependent state of a child is the way that we ought to see ourselves in coming to God, in relating to God as Heavenly Father. The saving message of the gospel is not that we are basically self-sufficient individuals and we just need God's grace to come in to kind of to fill the gaps you know, where, where we're lacking. Rather, the saving message of the gospel is we are completely helpless. We are dead in our sins. We can do nothing for ourselves. And we are completely dependent on God's mercy and grace and love in and through the Lord Jesus Christ to save us from our sin, to give us a new heart, and to provide for all of our needs. Canaan, our little guy, he's nine months old now. And I'm telling you, uh, bedtime in this season is a real chore. Um, something happens the minute that diaper comes off at bedtime, a monster is unleashed. I mean, it's like, 
his messy bottom. He's just rolling around. And, and, then, and then finally, when you do get the fresh diaper on and you're putting the pajamas on, you get one leg into the pajamas and he pulls the other one out. You get one arm in and he's, he's unzipping the thing and he's, he's all over. The, he's running from one end of the room to the other end of the room. And all we're trying to do is help him. All we want to do is help him. And at the end of the night, after all that struggle, he's in our arms. We're singing, Jesus loves me. We're praying for him, putting him down in his crib. And isn't that our relationship with Jesus? All he's trying to do is help, is help us, but we're wiggle worms. And we don't want his help. We are more dependent on his grace and his mercy, his persevering love to never give up on us. We are more dependent on him than we can ever imagine. And children teach us by their very helplessness, by their very dependence, the dependence that we have on our Heavenly Father. Jesus is essentially saying we ought to see Grace Church as just one gigantic children's ministry. Some of the children come in on a Sunday morning nine years old. Some of the children come in 90 years old. But all of us aren't coming in with our act together, aren't coming in knowing everything, but completely dependent, completely dependent on our Heavenly Father, His love and His provision. Jesus welcomes children generously. Jesus esteems children highly. And the third thing that we see is of His heart for children is that He embraces children affectionately. He embraces children affectionately. Take a look at verse 16. In verse 16, it says, and he took them in his arms. He took them in his arms. Jesus didn't pull a Captain Von Trapp and, you know, pull out the whistle and, you know, blow it and then say, okay, children, we're going to receive a blessing and we're going to do it in a very orderly fashion. I would like you to line up in single file. I will bless each one of you individually and then go away and do your chores. That's not how Jesus acts. Rather... He deals with them affectionately. He deals with them personally. I think that maybe he even dealt with them playfully. I imagine in this case, maybe some of the bigger kids he had on his knee, maybe he was making funny faces at them, trying to get them to laugh. And some of the newborns, he might have rocked them, looked down with a beaming smile on them. Some of the infants, maybe he bounced them on his knee. The living Lord the master of the universe, embracing the children in his arms. When we read the Gospels, we see that Jesus loved kids. Uh, some of the healings that are recorded where he dealt most intentionally with the person that he was healing are when he was healing children. Uh, in his teaching, just like we're going to see in our next study, in the next portion of Mark, sometimes Jesus would, would, would include a little funny illustration or a little funny quip for the sake of the children who were uh, listening to his teaching. His heart went out to them. Jesus is the safest man we could ever entrust children to. He rejoices with their happiness. He smiles on their accomplishments. He hurts with them in their pain. His arms are the safest arms for our children to be in, even safer than our arms as their parents. 
Psalm 139 reminds us that Jesus is intimately acquainted with our kids. No one knows your kids like you know your kids. And yet Jesus knows even more about your children than you do. Uh, Psalm 139 tells us about how intimately acquainted God, Jesus, is with our children. In verse 13, David writes, he says, You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. He knows the beginning from the end. Some of you know our, our story, Hannah and I's story with Canaan, that we adopted him through embryo adoption. If you have questions about that, I can clarify after the service. But essentially, before we adopted Canaan, Canaan had been uh, conceived by another couple in a Petri dish and then was frozen cryogenically for nine years. And when I think about Psalm 139... I think about the fact that Jesus knew every single moment that he was in that cryogenic tube. He watched over him, made sure he was okay. He made sure that he would be adopted and then made sure that when he was thawed that he survived. Made sure that when he got transferred into the womb that he would implant. Every single moment of the pregnancy, Jesus was watching over him, knew him more than we could ever imagine, and made sure that he was entrusted into parents who would teach him the love of God and point him to his need for Jesus. Jesus loves children. Jesus wants peace for the child facing anxiety in school. Jesus wants a family for the orphan that's longing for a home. He, in this moment, is the fierce defender of the child who is vulnerable in the womb. He loves all the little children of the world, and he will never, ever mistreat them. Jesus welcomes children generously. He esteems children highly. He embraces children affectionately. And lastly, he blesses children spiritually. Jesus blesses children spiritually. We may be, ask ourselves, and when we look at verse 13, why were they bringing the children so that he might touch them? What is that about? That's clarified for us in verse 16. In verse 16, notice it says, he blessed them, laying his hands on them. They were bringing them to him so that he might lay his hands upon them. This, this laying on of hands, <clears throat> excuse me, is an important gesture that goes all the way back to the very beginning of biblical times in the book of Genesis. The first time we see this is with Israel when he uh, blessed his grandsons, Joseph's kids. You remember that? Uh, Israel placed one hand on one grandson on, and another hand on another grandson and pronounced the blessing of God upon them. Uh, Joshua, when he took over leadership for Moses, 
uh, hands were laid upon him in the blessing. When Levites were going to be ordained as priests, the priests would lay hands on the Levite. In the New Testament, when elders were appointed, they were appointed with the laying on of hands from the church. Missionaries being commissioned in the book of Acts, like Paul and Barnabas, when they were sent off on their journeys, the church laid hands on them. This, was a, this laying on of hands was a sign of identification, it was a sign of affirmation, and it was a sign of confirmation of God's blessing on this individual. Jesus was essentially saying, I want God's spiritual blessing to rest upon you. Now, Jesus, throughout the Gospels, he, we see he touched many in his healing, but there is only one time, only one occasion recorded for us where he did this laying on of hands for a blessing. And where is that? With children. Children are the only ones that he showed this uh, important gesture of blessing. And by doing this, I think Jesus is revealing to us some important things that he knew about the spiritual capacity of children. Things that we ought to understand about children in their spiritual capacity. By blessing the children, first of all, Jesus is showing us that children's souls are significant. Children's souls are significant. I think sometimes we as parents, we're tempted only to think in, in, in view of um, our children's physical development, their mental development, and their social development. But Jesus, by blessing the children here, he is showing that his great concern is for their spiritual development. The book of Proverbs helps us with this. Proverbs was written for young kids. And uh, how does the beginning of Proverbs start? The fear of the Lord is? First service was just as bad at this. I'm, I'm nervous. The beginning of, uh, of the, the fear of the Lord is? Thank you. The beginning of wisdom. You want to know where to begin. Lay the foundation of your child, of children, growing up into wisdom. It begins with the fear of the Lord. Treating them as spiritual people. Developing them spiritually. Their souls are ripe for spiritual development. And because they are ripe, number two, by blessing the children, Jesus was showing us that children can understand spiritual realities. Children can understand spiritual realities. Children are amazingly perceptive when it comes to the truths of the Bible. They absorb more than we give them credit for. Uh, they, they are not yet plagued with the pride and doubt that adults have in their hardened hearts after years upon years upon years of us sinning. They're coming in with a cleaner slate and they're coming in more ready to accept, more ready to embrace the spiritual truths contained in the scripture. They need to receive biblical truth. Uh, I want you to turn with me to, uh, to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is such an important passage uh, for us as a church when we think about discipling the children here. And also for us as families um, that we might do this with the children in our families. Jesus, uh, God gives a command here of what we're to do with our children in Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6, verses, uh, starting at verse 6, uh, God says, These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them 
when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What God is teaching us here in this passage is that the Bible and his truth contained in it is just as applicable to children as it is to the adults. And what he's saying for us as families is as you live together, live the Bible. As you live together, live the Bible. Children can understand basic reality of who God is and what he's like, that he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They can understand his basic attributes. They can understand the reality of sin and that sin estranges us from God and that we need forgiveness for our sin. They can understand things like God's judgment. They can understand the realities of heaven and hell. They can understand what saving faith is in the Lord Jesus and a need to walk in obedience to God. They can even understand complicated terminology like justification and sanctification in their own little way. Children can understand spiritual realities. And thirdly, in blessing the children, Jesus was showing us that children can be born again. Children can be born again. They can receive salvation from the Lord. Bethany reminded us a couple weeks ago when she was uh, reviewing VBS with us, she shared the, the common statistic that 70%, 70% of all professions of faith happen within the 4 to 14 window. That is 70% of everyone who professes faith fall within the age category of 4 to 14. It is a ripe missions field to see people come to know the Lord. And those who are raised in the church, not just professing faith, but then receiving discipleship over the years by being in the community of faith, actually continue on in their profession of faith more than those who don't. Charles Spurgeon, when he preached this text to his congregation, he said this, the conversion of children is not expected in many of our churches. And I mean, they do not expect the children to be converted as children. The theory is that oh, we can impress youthful minds with principles which may in after years prove useful to them. And if we do so, then we've done a great deal. But to convert children as children and to regard them as being as much believers as their seniors is regarded as absurd. And Spurgeon goes on and says, well, to this supposed absurdity, I cling with all my heart. I believe that of children is the kingdom of God. Our children can know the Lord savingly. And if we desire for salvation to come upon the children of this church, the children of our families, there's some things that we need to be doing. First of all, we need to be praying. We need to pray for the salvation of our children. God says you do not have because you do not ask. And he says, uh, if we who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will God the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Pray the blessing of salvation down upon the children of this church, upon your children, 
upon your grandchildren, upon your neighbor's kids. Pray, pray, pray. God longs, longs to give salvation to your children. And let your children hear you praying about their salvation. Let them hear in your prayers night and day that you long for them to know the Lord Jesus and to trust in him for salvation. They're going to hear that and they're going to walk away into the adult years knowing, you know, when mom and dad prayed for me, there was one thing that was really heavy on their hearts and that is that I would trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We got to pray, but we have to do more than pray. We actually, we have to evangelize to them. We have to begin in the very beginning stages telling them about the reality of sin, telling them about the necessity to, to believe in Christ, explain to them what Christ did on the cross to take on the penalty of our sin, to forgive us, that we can have eternal life, not by anything that we do to try to, to earn God's love, but rather that it's a free gift that is received simply by trusting in what Christ does for us through his life, death, and resurrection. We need to evangelize to them, and we need to encourage and cultivate their belief. When our kids are showing uh, signs of, of seeking the Lord, of trying to understand spiritual truths, of even professing faith in Jesus, we don't tell them, well, you know, when you're a little bit older, uh, we'll talk about that. Or you'll gain more understanding when, you, when you're there. Or that, that's not a concern for this stage of life. No, we encourage them. I'm so glad that you're interested in God's word. So glad that you love Jesus and that, that you want to understand more of who he is. We begin to cultivate that seed-like faith. Now, we can't treat them like oaks. They're not oaks yet but a seedling faith we, we cultivate over time. And lastly, uh, if we're going to see our children be born again, we have to empower their serving, empower their serving. Give them small little ways at their level that they can be involved in the work of the church, in the work of the Great Commission, in kingdom involvement. Let them see that their little hearts can have mighty faith and their little hands can do mighty work. For the kingdom of God. Jesus shows his heart for children and that he welcomes children generously. He esteems children highly. He embraces children affectionately and he blesses children spiritually. We enjoy the blessing of Jesus when we lead our children to him and we risk his displeasure when we hinder them. As a church, Let's be a church that leads the children to Jesus. Now, there are opportunities in our church that, that you can walk to. But there are some opportunities in our church that are so great, so significant, so important that we ought to run to them. Let's be a church that when it comes to opportunities to lead the children to Jesus, we will run, run to those opportunities. Let's pray to have the best children's ministry in the whole stinking world. The best children's ministry we could pray for, the best children's ministry we could pay for, the best children's ministry that we could serve in because Jesus has such a heart for children. Jesus in this passage showed us that he was a lion for the children. When they were being hindered, he said, let them come, do not hinder them. And when it came to relating to them, he was a lamb, took him in his arms, showed them love, showed them tenderness, 
showed them affection. We do well to follow in his example that when it comes to the kids of our church, of our community, of our nation, of our homes, of our families, we will be lion-like protectors, defenders, and advocates. But when it comes to them, that we would have lamb-like love, tenderness, and affection. For parents here who are feeling the awesome weight of parenting, you feel the strain, you feel the hardship, maybe you even have a guilty sense of failure. The wonderful hope that we have is though our hearts fail our children, Jesus' heart will never fail our children. And the beauty of belonging to Jesus is to know that he, he is at work within us. You have Jesus at work in you through his spirit and his mighty heart for your kids can be your mighty heart for your children as well. Pray for him to cultivate the same love, the same affection that he has uh, for your children as well. And we have one another. That is the beauty of belonging to the family of God. We have people who are in the same stage of parenting as we are in, and we can talk about how tired we are and how uh, excited and frustrated and all those good things with each other. We can encourage one another, give tips. And then we've got people who have been through it all and now have adult children, and they can give us their wisdom, and they can tell us, hey, you, you can actually survive. You can actually survive this thing called parenting. And they can love us and pray for us, give us their wisdom. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. Let's take our children by the hand and lead them to the one 